to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster recovery, emergency response, resiliency, and anything that can be associated with those topics and uh, other relatable topics. And if, uh, again, to all you long-term listeners... If there's a subject you would like us to talk about on the show, please feel free to get in touch with me. There is a button underneath the graphic on the website for uh, or the web page on the Voice America site for the show that says to send the host an email. I do get all the emails and I do respond to all. And I'm going to come back to that point in just a moment. We do have some sponsorship and adverts available. So if uh, you're interested in having us talk about uh, your product or service, uh, please feel free, get in touch with me, uh, I'll same way, through the email. And I want to confirm that today we uh, crossed uh, all the T's and dotted all the I's and we'll be doing another live broadcast at the Disaster Recovery Journal Conference in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, September 29th to October 2nd this year. Last year was a lot of fun, we had uh, a lot of success with it, so we are going to do it uh, again and hopefully this year maybe uh, we might be able to uh, broadcast uh, film, not just audio. So fingers crossed on that. Now, I want to come back to what I said about uh, people reaching out to talk about uh, specific topics. My guest today did just that. Um, They are the author of a book called The Soulful Leader, Success with Authenticity, Integrity, and Empathy. So I'd like to welcome to the show today, and I really hope I get his name right, Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley. Oh, that was perfect, Alex. Thank you. I, not, I many people pronounce, not, not many people pronounce my last name correctly. Wow, I, I got it right. I, I'm surprised. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, also, thanks for reaching out. You're an example of what I say at the beginning of the show. You know, if there's something you want to talk about, you know, this mm-hmm. is your platform to do it. So. Mm-hmm. So before we get started into talking about your topic, you know, the soulful leader, can you tell us about yourself, you know, what uh, you do and how you got into what you do right now? Sure. I'm a clinical psychologist, Alex. I've been in practice for over 35 years. I was a chief psychologist at a hospital outside of Boston for 25 years. I've been on the faculty of Harvard Medical School. And in the last 10 years, I left the hospital and teaching and I'm in full-time private practice now as well as writing, so I've written several books in the last few years and really felt the need to write this book, Soulful Leader, because I'm so concerned about the direction, uh, not only in our country, but in the corporate world in general of leadership, uh, and, and I think it's necessary to talk about and help people learn how to lead with authenticity, integrity, and empathy, because um, we're encountered with so many toxic leaders today that it has really demoralized a lot of the workforce and a lot of the citizenship of our country in particular. Uh, I have to agree with you on your point. I read your book in one sitting, and I, you know, I have a lot of uh, 
uh, sticky throughout it, <laughs> to put it that way, of good points, you know, that uh, really triggered my mind. And, and, and you're right, there are a lot of toxic leaders out there right now on all levels, stage levels, you know. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but let, let's jump to the main question people are going to ask. Mm-hmm. What is a soulful leader? Well, a soulful leader, Alex, is a person who, who lives with purpose and expresses a desire to be of service. He or she is not primarily motivated by status or image, but they have a natural interest in making the most of all the people they encounter. Soulful leaders lead with passion. They're intimately aware of the structure of their organizations. They are interested in motivating from the bottom up, not from the top down. They know who cleans their office, who mows the lawn, who fixes their computers, who serves the food. They know the secretaries and the receptionists. They speak to everyone. And no person is seen as less valuable than anyone else. Soulful people lead balanced lives. They work with intensity, but they also know how to turn the dial down and enjoy themselves when they're not working. And they, they have an inherent love of young people. I think this is very important. They love to educate, to witness the blossoming of young talent. They're the voice of reason in the face of conflict. They are not quick to react. They're rather thoughtful contributors. They know how to listen, and they are generally interested in understanding not only those who are like them, but also those who are on the surface seem different. They are no, known for fi- finding common ground. They take information in from diverse sources. They expect to continue to gain information about themselves and their world and the human condition throughout their lives. They expect to revise theories, change perspective as new learning takes place. So they're not wedded to one way of thinking, one way of being, or one way of leading. They, they realize and willingly accept that in order to live a healthy, high-achieving life, they must adapt to change, and they realize that they're going to be constantly faced with new situations that require adjustments. And they understand that in order to bring about a healthy environment, they need to lead with an open heart and an open mind. And also they have, most importantly, a love for diversity. They not only try to, to hire and encourage people who sort of seem like-minded, but they, they realize that having people from all walks of life, different cultures, different religions, bring more to the table and they can see the world more accurately and therefore they can devise strategies for producing and, and servicing others more efficiently. Now, I know, I know a couple of people personally who would look at that and say, oh, that's just a dream state. But it's not, right? Like, no, it's really not. There people like that. There, it's, been, it's been proven, you know, by multiple, uh, multiple studies that, that when you lead this way, you, you, you create a happy environment. You, you, you change brain chemistry. You're actually producing positive brain chemicals in people's minds so that when the, the, it increases creativity, and when you increase creativity and people are happy, they're, they're, more, they're more productive and profits go up. So, so they, they're actually creating um, positive change. Yes, they're creating positive change through their way of being, and then it filters down to other people. Okay, so, so positive change, not just for you know, their organization, but you know, for the people themselves, right, to... Yes. Want yes. to better themselves, right? Like it's uh, yes. uh, if you make your people happy or your employees happy, then they will make the company better. If if you lead with dignity and authenticity, you're <clears throat> going to cause positive brain changes in your in your people, 
and you create mm-hmm. a spirited a- atmosphere that naturally allows for productivity, financial, and market results to rise. There's no question about that. It's, it's been proven by many studies. You know, the, the companies who won the Corporate Health Achievement Award outperform the S&P 500 by 200 percentage points or more every, basically every year. There's a consulting group in England based in London that rates companies on degree of empathy, and the top 10 companies increase value twice as much as those in the bottom 10. So we know through credible studies from the Harvard B School and Stanford Business School that you? people who lead with dignity and empathy actually encourage others to do the same. And, and rather than thinking that these are soft skills that don't result in profits, it's, it's the opposite. They do result in profits because people want to come to work and they want to perform. So why do we still have managers who think the opposite and behave the opposite? Well, and not just managers, but uh, you know, leaders who do the opposite. Well, you know, that's a great question, Alex, because so many people have, have learned to lead through aggression and fear, and they believe that when you make other people fearful, they'll perform on a higher level because they're afraid of you. I mean, we see, we see parents who conduct themselves this way as well, but it's mythical. It's not true. People who lead that way actually discourage other people, and they cause a stress reaction. They cause people to feel more stressed and uncomfortable in their presence. And they cause people to release cortisol, the stress hormone. When you produce cortisol, what happens? You cause negative thinking. You cause weight gain, inflammation, hair loss. You break down muscle tissue. It causes depression, anxiety. And it even, it even actually kills neurons in the memory center of the brain. So if you create an environment of stress through, through leading with fear and aggression, you're actually changing brain chemistry in, 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 con- in consequential ways that produce negative results, not positive results. So those people that feel that they can you know, behave in that manner, in that negative way, are they aware that they're harming their own company? They're, they're actually working against themselves? I, I don't think they are. As long as companies, in my experience, Alex, consulting to corporations, as long as companies are making money, they'll tend to think that they're doing the right thing. As long as their profits are high enough and they're, they're pleasing investors and, and because their belief in the bottom line is so strong, they'll think that they're succeeding. And they're, they are what I call performance addicts. You know, performance addiction is the belief that perfecting appearance and achieving status will bring love and respect. It, it's an irrational belief system, and it begins, you know, it begins in your family, but it's reinforced by cultural expectations. And we, especially in America, we have such an emphasis on status and image. You know, you are how much money you make. If you don't have yeah, the right yeah. title and you don't make enough money and you don't look the right way, then you're not a successful person. So many people, I have a performance addiction quiz at the end of this book, you probably saw, and so many people take yep. that quiz and they're surprised that they're testing in the high, on the high level of having this type of addiction because they bought into this mythical belief. And the truth is that it's our connections that make us happy, and it's positive connections that make people want to work for you and be with you. Two quick points. Uh, I took your test, and thankfully I was not on that end. (laughs) But I can be honest honest with you. About about five years ago, I would have. Uh I would have been at that other end. So it's interesting that you said that. The other thing that got me thinking is – is it short-term, you know, thinking, you know, thinking about the bottom line that causes 
maybe some leaders to be not be so soulful? Yes, because, you know, it begins in our homes. We think of leadership. The first leaders we're exposed to are our mothers and fathers. So what way did, what way did they lead? Do they focus mm-hmm. on our character? Do they focus on our self-worth? Do they, do they relate to us with empathy and compassion? You know, if a child is not receiving that kind of empathy and compassion early on, and all of a sudden they score a touchdown or they, be, they get the lead role in a play in their school and they can see that it pleases their parents, they get addicted to achievement. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to feel worthy. And if you're, not getting worth, if you're not getting a sense of worthiness for who you are, for the essence of who you are, and all of a sudden you get some applause for achieving things, then you get hooked on achievement. Then it seems like nothing else matters. Yeah. Can you give us, not to put you on the spot, can you give us an example of maybe someone out there right now who you would consider a soulful leader and someone maybe not so soulful? I guess we would, you know, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, I think, I don't know them personally, but I think Bill Gates in particular, what I know of what he's doing for the world and his interest in poverty, his interest in other countries, his interest in the poverty and lack of education in other countries and not people not even having clean water, you know, his hiring and, and employing high-level engineers who are able to uh, produce products that make people's lives better around the world. Uh, I would think he is a soulful leader because he certainly is leading from his heart, not just, I mean, he knows, he said to Warren Buffett, we many of us have read this and seen in interviews, how much money do you need? You know, you're going to leave yeah. billions to your family, but what about the rest of the world? And yeah. I, I, would, I would think someone like him. You know, I'm, I'm uh, someone who exercises every day, and I'm, obviously, I'm a Boston Red Sox fan. You're, you may be a Toronto Blue Jay fan. But we have a coach here, Alex Cora, who was a player who people talk about as a soulful leader because he's so inclusive. You know, in the World Series last year, every player played. Everybody plays on this team. Mm-hmm. No, matter how, no matter how high your batting average is or how well-liked you are, everybody plays. Some, some people sit on different days. So the, the, the chemistry in that clubhouse is, is tremendous. And people love playing for him because of that, because he knows how to lead. And it makes everybody feel inclusive, like they're a part of something. Yes, they're a part of something that's important. And it, it, he's changing brain chemistry by being, by being kind, and he sets limits when he needs to. He knows how to push people, but he also knows when to back up. And people feel like he's an authority figure, but he's a fair authority figure. He's giving everybody a chance. You don't perform well for a couple of weeks. He doesn't bench you or stop playing you. He doesn't, he doesn't say demeaning things. He doesn't insult you. You know, he's from Puerto Rico, and as part of his contract to come here and, and coach the Red Sox, he, in his contract, he insisted that they donate, the Red Sox donate so much money to Puerto Rico. And he and some of the players went and gave food and clothing and other things uh, when they had that tremendous dis- disaster. Interestingly, uh, when the Red Sox were invited to the White House as the winners of the World Series, uh, he declined to go. And I would guess you know why. Uh, and I'm going to take that as the negative example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Without naming names. Yes. 
Okay, well, we've come basically to the end of our first segment. Today we're talking with Dr. Uh, Arthur Ciamarcoli and his book, The Soulful Leader. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Who claim to be dog experts, yet they don't really provide a connection between dog owners and their best friend. This is where the BS stops. Listen for Taming the Wild and Your Dog with expert author and nationally recognized dog trainer Brian Bailey. Each show has experts, professional trainers, and veterinarians to give you the right answers. Listen for the safety and well-being of your dog. Listen every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley, the author of The Soulful Leader, Success with Authenticity, Integrity, and Empathy. Uh, doctor, what kind of character- characteristics uh, should a soulful leader have or, or shouldn't have? You know, I know you mentioned some interesting ones in your book, and there's a couple that i like to kind of touch on. The, the first being listening. I think, you know, I call it empathic listening, Alex, because empathy is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another. It, it is a way of listening that really encourages people to come forth. And I think great listeners, uh, are uh, that's often one of the qualities that great leaders have, that when people are, are with them, they know they're present and they're actually attending to what they're, they're hearing. They don't interrupt they take their time to un- try to understand what the other person is trying to convey. And if they can't give them time at the moment in a, in a reasonable, in a civil way, they, they say, you know, if someone comes up to them in a hall and says, I, I, can I have five minutes and they're on their way to a meeting and they're late, they say, gee, you know, can you, can you leave me a message? I, I will get back to you before the day's over, something like that. So, so people know that they're attending to them. 
And, you mm-hmm. know, social leaders also, they tend to be highly ethical with high integrity and, uh, and authentic. And they're humble yet confident. And they're happy, they're happy people. You can see that they're high-spirited people. And they can be intensely serious when they need to be. And this results in employees being committed to their organization, their vision, because when the leader's present and acting this way, at some point it doesn't matter whether the leader is present or not because that's the model that is set. No, no different than parents who, who lead that way in their own families. When they're not present, siblings tend to act that way with each other. So mm-hmm. it's, it's developing a certain climate of listening, of being ethical, of being honest, having integrity and authenticity, but acknowledging when you don't know something, having humility. You know, you and I were talking in the break that you know, I gave an example in the book of a CEO that, of a major company here in Massachusetts, and he was on MSNBC on the financial network once, and he was asked that, that this quarter they were going to meet their mark, and, uh, and he said, absolutely. And their stock that that in that six months went from one hundred and five dollars to five dollars and fifty cents. And today, when he lectures, he says, "You know, I never learned to say I don't know." I, in business school, I was always taught to be confident. Always, I always use the word absolutely. And he said, "I had no right to say that whatsoever." Our company was struggling. I knew that we weren't going to make that number, but I wasn't even thinking. It wasn't like I was trying to lie. I just said it automatically. He said, I always was taught, don't reveal vulnerability to anyone, which is, which is a terrible quality of a leader because what does it say? It says you can't be authentic. You can't be real. You can't acknowledge that I don't know something. It, it's as if being vulnerable and being honest is a bad thing rather than a good thing. Well, that was going to be my question. Why Why won't some people? Because it happens even when there's crises and disasters. You ask questions and people will make up answers. And I, I happen to mention to you in the break that I've, I've asked, you know, vice presidents and directors and whoever, you know, in my daily work questions. And you can tell they're making things up on the spot. So yes, yes. Why, why? Why can't they say, I, I don't know? Well, they've learned early in life that vulnerability is a negative and they don't realize that when you're vulnerable and you acknowledge what you don't know or you're uncertain at the moment, like as I said earlier in the first segment when we were talking, is that soulful leaders take their time. If they don't know something, they'll think it through and they'll say, I, you know, I'll find out, I'll call Hank Smith or I'll call Ted Johnson or let's find out who knows more about this. They, their self-esteem is so sound that they don't have to pretend. They don't have to make up answers. As you said, they would not make up anything if they were talking to you. They'd give you an honest answer. It's, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist. People come in, and, and sometimes a lot of my corporate people, they'll spin a story in the beginning. And I look at them, and I'm saying, mm-hmm. I got a, I got a sense that you're doing a PowerPoint presentation here. And I said, Why? You're not, if you're not going to confide in me, you know, this isn't going to work very well. Because they're trying so hard to impress. And I had a client not long ago. Uh, one of the Northeast managers of a major company, and he told me about six months ago, he said, you know, I make about $550,000 pretty much annually. And then two months later, he told me he made 320000 So I said, well, two months before, you told me you made five hundred fifty. He said, no, I don't think I said that. I said, well, you did say that. You know, because I have no idea what he makes. I really, I mean, I'm not that interested in it anyway. But this is a person that sort of spins a story. And, it's, and that mm-hmm. contributes to his own anxiety. And why, why has he been referred to me by HR? Because people don't trust him. 
people don't want to work for them because there's hmm. always a spin rather than just being authentic. Is it because they you they're afraid to say I don't know, regardless of the situation, crises or not, is because they really they don't have that level of confidence. They think they do, but they really yes. don't. Yes, they're projecting. They're trying to project confidence that they don't have. Actually, they're feeling insecure by not knowing the answer. You know, a few years ago, the Dalai Lama was, uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama was asked to go to Israel to speak to Palestinian and Israeli leaders. And it was a three-day conference, I believe. And at the end of the conference, everybody was waiting because the Dalai Lama was going to speak. And they were trying to address how to get these two opposing groups together so they could make compromise and live peacefully with each other. So the Dalai Lama was about, when he was called to come up to speak, he, he started to laugh. And one of the, one of the um, people on the panel said, you know, His Holiness, why are you laughing? He said, I can't believe that all these intelligent people in this room, scientists, PhDs, MDs, and you asked a monk to come here and settle this $2,000, 2,000-year conflict. Uh, and he <laughs> said, I thought it was funny that you thought I'd have the answer. And it was completely comfortable saying that. The whole audience <laughs> laughed and relaxed, and then they began to talk and brainstorm. Why did they become relaxed? Because he was telling them his truth. Why in the world would you be asking me? I don't have any magic answers. He was honest. He didn't have an answer. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, I like that example. There, there was another one uh, we did listening, and I don't know. What do you mean by the tolerance part? Well, you mean tolerance in terms of a leader? Yeah, yeah, the the soulful leader, it's one of their characteristics, being tolerant. So what does that mean? Well, it means that they're not impatient with people. They're not always pressing people to perform. They're, they are knowing how to relate in a calm way and a thoughtful way so that they can resolve conflict. So they have tolerance for the conflict. They're not conflict avoidant. They don't run away from it. They also have tolerance for people when they don't ask the most brilliant question so that they're opening the door to everybody to ask questions, everybody to participate in a staff meeting, not just one or two of the brightest people in the room, but they're trying to be all-inclusive. They're trying to let everybody feel comfortable speaking. So in that regard, they're displaying tolerance, which makes people feel more comfortable, changes their brain chemistry, as we had talked earlier, and it makes them feel more open to contributing and being creative. And maybe they don't have a creative idea today, but they will eventually, most likely, because they feel free to speak. They're not worried about being demeaned or being talked down to. Hmm. So you, in your title, you've got success with authenticity, integrity, and empathy. And you kind of alluded to those a couple of times before. But how does somebody, um, let's say we wouldn't call them a soulful leader right now, how... Mm-hmm. How could they become more authentic, uh, you know, and uh, have more integrity and, you know, show empathy? How, how well, do they go about doing that? I think people need, I mean, I have, uh, Alex, three groups that call leadership and communication groups. And they're, in each group, they're, they're either CEOs, CFOs, you know, professional athletes, media people, people who realize at some point, I think people tend to realize this as they get older because they realize that they, they sort of caught the magic rabbit and they, and they have enough money, but they still don't feel good and they don't, and, and they don't feel particularly respected by colleagues and friends. And they often don't have close friends 
and their self-care tends to be poor, and then they're motivated to learn something different. One thing I know that tends to attract people is when they realize that the way they're leading and the way they're causing the stress response and the release of the, of the negative hormone cortisol that we talked about earlier, they realize they're hurting their own brain. And then they're open to changing. They're open to learn how to relate with empathy. And when they learn how to relate with empathy, they see the benefits of it. In these groups, they see it over time because we're not talking about people's resumes. Nobody's allowed to talk about how much money they make or what title they have. No one cares. All, the, all that people care about in the room is how one person is relating to another. And we learn how to relate with more accuracy, you know, and, and not, to, not perceiving inaccurately, but using empathy to see the truth. You know, empathy is very truth-oriented. So how, how can mm-hmm. people change? By being motivated to change, by realizing that you're going to be happier inside, you're going to have a more successful company, and most importantly, you're going to have a more successful personal life. But it takes time and it takes work. Well, that, that actually it kind of leads to my question. Is it, you know, always an older person or are there any examples of people who, you know, may naturally be a soulful leader that aren't an older person? You know, someone uh, in the world right now who's younger who uh, displays these characteristics? Well, you know, uh, again, I, I, yes, there are. You, you look at uh, someone like Pete Buttigieg. Have you heard him speak? Yes, yes. One of the can You know, he seems very soulful to me, and he's a, he's a relatively young man. I mean, he obviously was a Navy SEAL. He's been through something. Um, I see a lot of the young, young people coming out of uh, business school or with business degrees. I think they get it more because they're, they're more aware of this research. They're more aware, like the Harvard Business School uh, did studies over a long period of time that showed that empathy was three times more effective than your, your IQ score in, in terms of running a successful business. So they're, they're more exposed to these ideas, and they're, they're a little bit more aware that the way you relate is quite important. And, and they're also aware that it, because there have been so many studies done about toxic leaders who are actually miserable, have very poor health, and tend to spread that around to other people as well. So there are young people that, that are more aware and more sophisticated, I think, in knowing how to lead. So could that, that change over time, that we could find um, you know, a lot more younger soulful leaders you know, that could lead us through good times and bad times, you know, no matter what happens, we could see that change over time. I, you know, in my practice, I I tend to work with a lot of people in the business world or in the professional athletic world. So I see a lot, I, you know, I have, I have clients that in their thirties, forties, they want to learn this. Of course, they followed some of my writing. So obviously that's why they come, but it kind of spreads, you know, this, this way of relating is contagious. I mean, it, it's infectious. You know, I've seen it. Once you start leading this way and you put AIE leadership, authenticity, integrity, empathy and into action, you, you become part of making a better world and a better organization. And, and it really is contagious. I mean, people want to learn it. They want to they they implement this in their lives. And they know it's not just a theoretical change. You know, you have to do something with it. You have change is an active process. But I, I've seen many people... And I don't know that it's the majority, but I think people are so dissatisfied in the corporate world and in our country. I mean, 
there, there is such dismay with the political climate. People are longing for a genuine, authentic, compassionate, wise leader, male or female. I mean, there's such a longing for that here because we have little of that. We're so divided and we're not inclusive. And, you know, the anti-Semitic, the race relations, it's all, it's all increased in, in America. We're, we, we have reverted back to a time where, you know, people, if, if someone looks different than you or they speak differently or they're from another country or they have a different religion, you know, they're not part of your tribe. And that's very dangerous thinking. It's a very dangerous prejudice that is, that is, really come to the surface in America right now. And that's actually one of the motivations for me writing this book. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm thinking that if you are a likable person, you know, um, like some of the examples you mentioned, uh, you know, a, a good soulful leader, you know, a soulful person, that when you do trip up you in a crisis or a disaster in your organization, people are going to want to respond to help you more than, you know, if they don't like you, right? Would that be fair yeah. to say? Yes, yes. What, what I've seen, Alex, is even when a person's bonus is dependent on a leader, a boss, and that person is demeaning, even sadistic, you know, leading with anger and fear, the person, if I'm the person that has to deliver that report on Monday because he's going to negotiate with a client, a customer, and that report is very necessary, you will find people unconsciously not finishing the report, even though their bonuses depend upon it, because they don't want to make that person look good. They really, really? don't. Really? Wow. And, and they don't even realize it to say, oh, I slept, I slept through my alarm, or I, uh, you know, I, all, I, I went down the wrong, I took the wrong highway, and you know that's not really, they don't even realize it, but they don't want to help. They don't want to help because they feel demeaned by this person. Wow, that's so different than what you'd expect. Yes, because you would think if you're a bottom line person, the only thing that's important is money, right? But right. human beings inherently do not like to be demeaned. And they certainly don't like to be the, the origin of, a, of cruelness, of people who talk down to them, who are condescending. People, you know, people don't like it. Think of it in families. When you're that way as a parent, you know, I, I've seen kids who are high achievers, they have high grades, they could go to any college they want, and they drop out. Because they, on mm -hmm. some level, they don't realize it, but they don't want to please their parents. Because they don't like their parents. They don't like oh. all the pressure they've had to live with all those years. Wow. Interesting. That could be a whole topic on its own. <laughs> yes. Yes. So... Uh, in our next segment, because we've come to the end of our second one, I, I'm going to link the authenticity, integrity, and empathy now to our crisis management leaders, and we're going to talk about that with business continuity management. So today okay. we're talking with Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley, author of The Soulful Leader, Success with Authenticity, Integrity, and Empathy, and we'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus. Creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea. 
to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show for our final segment. Today we're talking with Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley, the author of The Soulful Leader. And uh, doctor, at the end of our second segment, we started to talk a little bit um, uh, towards uh, business continuity management, emergency response, and some of, some of that leadership. So I'm wondering, can a crisis leader, you know, of an organization, you know, who's been uh, designated, you know, to run a crisis or be in charge of a disaster, can they become a soulful leader? Oh, absolutely, uh, Alex. Anyone can become a a soulful leader if they try to employ these particular characteristics and become more disciplined to integrate them into their personality. As you said earlier, you know, some people have this naturally because they've been raised that way and they've been educated that way, but other people have to learn. And we know that we have to unlearn some things to become more soulful in leadership as well. But once it's, once it's focused upon and once you indicate in your organization that we want to do this as a group, say we, we commit to employing AIE leadership in our group, then we're doing it together. We, mm-hmm. You know, I have, I have clients, I have companies who, you know, they'll buy 30 copies of this book and they, just, they, they, they formed a study group, one of the local companies here, which, you know, pleased me to no end because... Um, I, I, you know, I, I can see that they, they want to learn more about it. So every week they're, they're reading a chapter, they're talking about it, and then they're comparing it to how they're leading at the time. What, what are the crises they faced every week? And did they face those crises, crises with authenticity and integrity and with empathy? Did they slow down and listen empathically? Did they, did they conflict re- resolve in ways that made people feel part of the part of the strategy, part of the problem. So these kind of discussion groups are very important. And when you, when, you, when you want to do this, when you want to integrate it into your organization, that needs to be part of it. It needs to be done with people together because we kind of balance each other in the process. 
So let's say somebody has been designated um, a crisis leader and they're completely unaware of, you know, these, this AIE um, process that you have. Mm-hmm. Would you suggest that maybe having you know, some sort of a tabletop exercise to help find out where they are, you know, uh, on, you know, on an AIE scale, like, oh, you know, maybe, this, maybe we should get someone else who has more of these characteristics. You know, well, would, I, I would having some you, sort of a test you, help? I think when you bring someone in, I, I give talks for the Revelry Group, which is a group I, um, out in Idaho, Sun City, Idaho, and they bring in a hundred or so CEOs or CFOs from different companies all over the country. And they employ people like myself to come out and help them to lead more soulfully um, and to reduce the stress levels in their organization. And it's, it's very interesting because these are people who really want to learn this. They don't, they, they don't know how to do it. They're not sure how to implement it. And we have this same conversation. And the, and the question you just asked me is the question that usually comes up in the end. How do we integrate this into our organization, into our lives? And I say, you, know, you don't do it alone. You know, we're all too subjective. We need feedback from other people. So you need groups or sometimes consultants that come in for a short period of time or maybe even a lengthy period of time so that the environment starts to change. But we need to talk about it. We need to educate employees about it. We all want to be part of the process and breaking it down into small groups where we can talk about, you know, that last crisis that came up, how did we handle it? Did mm-hmm. we handle it with integrity and authenticity? Did we employ empathy to understand other people's perspectives and, and to kind of create a, a strategy to solve the problems we were facing? Where did we stand? Now, if you've got 10 people in a room examining that, you usually come up with some very concrete answers. Well, here's where we seem to fail, or here's where we seem to succeed. It's an ongoing process. There has to be a commitment by the leaders to do this in an ongoing way. And sometimes that's difficult without a consultant who comes in and helps facilitate this process, but it's definitely doable. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? Or Well, not so much how do you do that, but I'm wondering, some, some crises aren't that big. You know, if you're meeting at the end of the week, okay, this is what happened during the week, how do we handle it? That's got to be a lot different than we've got a flood going on. You know, that, that extra stress, yeah. how, does, how does a soulful leader manage that extra stress? Well, when you, when you, one of the most fascinating things in my career, Alex, is, you know, I wrote a book called The Power of Empathy in 2000. And I, I had a sense that when you give and receive empathy in a work relationship or in a, in a family or love relationship, that brain chemistry changes, but I couldn't prove it. Today we know that when you give and receive empathy, you produce oxytocin, the near miracle neurotransmitter. What, is, what does oxytocin do? It reduces anxiety and cortisol levels. It helps you live longer. It aids in recovery from illness and injury. It promotes a sense of calm and well-being. It increases generosity and empathy. It protects against heart disease. It modulates inflammation. Very importantly, it reduces craving for addictive substances. It creates a bond and an increase in trust between people. It decreases fear and it creates a feeling of security. It makes people open to negotiate. It even makes people open for love and friendship. So when people realize if you give and receive empathy, if you have an empathic environment, 
if you establish an empathic environment, you are changing, literally changing brain chemistry. And you're producing all those positive consequences by making that brain change. And that brain change contributes to people feeling overall in a much more high-spirited place. They want to be at work because when they're at work, they really feel good. And it translates to their personal lives as well. So when you know, when, when you actually have an experience with another person or a person in a meeting, or when you're trying to decipher what happened in that last catastrophe, when there's understanding, empathic understanding is given and received, you can see that people feel calmer. People become more creative. People feel more trusting. They want to be in an interaction with other people. And that it has so many benefits so that when you start to lead that way, and in my groups, when people see it, when you experience it, it's addictive because why wouldn't you want to feel that way? So would I be correct in saying that a soulful leader can actually, um, by their behavior, uh, influence how a disaster or emergency situation unfolds? Absolutely. Absolutely. They can, you know, either you've got everyone following you and wanting to help, or you've got people, I guess, pointing the finger at you saying you people are bad. You're a bad organization. Well, it's absolutely going to help because, you know, there's there's the great place to work institute found that a culture of integrity lowers turnover, it increases morale, it produces higher earnings and increases share prices. And that's only one study of many. And so basically we're contributing to people feeling better, feeling happier, being healthier. You know, we're increasing health. We increase health, we cut down costs of of insurance and people needing medical attention. And in crises, we need to be able to think clearly. Rather than people panicking and becoming overly anxious and coming up with quick answers, which I'm sure what you've seen in crises, that happens often. People are Mm -hmm. jumping to conclusion, generalizing. Empathy doesn't allow us to generalize. It's focused on the uniqueness of the situation. It teaches us to focus on the facts, not what we're imagining, and to perceive accurately. It reduces prejudice and it reduces old generalizations from past conditioning. It, it allows a person to see the situation clearly, <clears throat> all the variables in sight, so that we make much better decisions. So that, that leads me to my next little section. Are soulful leaders automatically resilient? Soulful leaders tend to be quite resilient, yes, because they're leading balanced lives. And when you expand your capacity for empathy, it's, expanding the capacity for empathy is probably the most important ingredient in leading a successful personal and professional life. When you expand your, your empathic range, you see all the variables in a situation. You, you know you have a much better idea who to hire and who not to, who to put in one position versus another. In your personal life, it teaches you who to get close to and who to remain distant from. Because you, it, it, empathy is everyday mind reading. It goes beyond the surface to see in the heart and soul of another person and actually determine who you're interacting with. You have a much better idea, a much better compass in the minefield of relationships, which avenues to take. So, yes, Does, I would say that soulful people are, are, are by, by nature, more resilient. Does someone who's a soulful leader become resilient or does resiliency actually help them become a better soulful leader? 
it's kind of a chicken and egg. Which one do you, really kind of comes first? Well, do you know, that's an excellent question. I would think they, 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 I would think it happens simultaneously. I mean, that may not mm. be the case in every situation, but I think resilient people, truly resilient people, authentic resilient people, tend to be quite empathic. They're not, they're not people who are critical. They're not people who are always trying to put someone else down to elevate themselves. They're fairly stable with their sense of self. So they are resilient, but how, how can you be resilient if you don't see the world accurately? If you're, if you're seeing the world through rose-colored glasses or, or not perceiving the truth in situations, you're not going to be very resilient. You're going to be making serious mistakes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because it, right now at conferences and in trade magazines regarding business continuity, um, etc., they're always... Uh, really promoting everyone needs to become resilient. Mm-hmm. You know, but you you just kind of gave us uh, an explanation where you really need to do this um, in, in line with you being empathic and you know authentic and showing your integrity. It's not just, okay, let's just snap a finger, let's become resilient, or let's become a soulful yeah. leader. You can't just snap your finger. Yeah. You're not going to become resilient if the only thing you care about is the bottom line. If you don't care about other human beings, people you work with or people you live with, um, you're not going to become resilient if the only thing important to you is what performance addicts uh, believe in, which is they try to perfect their way into happiness and they try to perfect the people around them and themselves and they drive people crazy. You know, when you connect on an empathic level, you have good work relationships, you have trusting work relationships, and you have close friendships. And you tend to know how to maintain intimacy in your love relationship. Does this, uh, you got me thinking now, um, if you do have a crisis in your organization, it's one thing to show this soulful leadership side to your employees, you know, and your business partners. Is there an influence to help the community? You know, is there a way to um, show that to, you know, your the businesses next door, you know, the, the subdivision down the road, you know, how can soulful leader help the community? Well, you know, I think that's why you're seeing um, B corporations expand, like Patagonia, Etsy, Ben and Jerry's, because they're sacrificing income to make some contribution to the community, and and they they involve the community in 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 being part of a meaningful venture. So this can spread to the community. It should spread to the community. The community in, a, in an organization should be should be partners. I mean, we want mm-hmm. to serve the community and, and they serve us. It, 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 there's a reciprocal relationship there. And I guess and you look, get it back. You know, you may be investing uh, money to become a soulful leader and do, do training awareness and things like that and show that to the community. But as you put it, you know, spending money uh, to do that. But at the same time, if you are showing that, it all eventually comes back to you anyway because you've got all these people that are now looking at you wanting to support you. Yes, yes. And and the other thing that's important, I think, also, Alex, is that when it's not authentic, when a very wealthy company just donates money and, and they don't really and, – and you know that it's part of a show – and people know mm-hmm. that it's not authentic, and, and the, the people in leadership don't even show up. They're just writing a check. That, that doesn't do it. 
when, when yeah. you know when you roll up your sleeves and and you and and people display that they really care about what's going on in the in the community and the community gets to know the individuals they want to come to your company they want to do business with you they want to support you they want to refer to you yeah i i i've always believed i know we've only got less than 2 minutes but i've always believed that uh, you know, a company or a person, if you have to brag about being you know a community member and showing charity and donating, then you're doing it all for the wrong reasons. Yes, yes. You know, so we have, like I said, we have under well, probably a minute now. Um, do you have thirty seconds where you'd like a closing comment or a closing thought? Well, you know, I, I just Alex would emphasize that this type of high character that I'm emphasizing is what's missing in our society. And we all need to take action to make character and connections more important than status and image. We fell into a time where status and image has become more important than who we are and how we behave. But we all need to take part in in, in actually putting this into action where we value character and connections more than just status and title and image. Mm -hmm. Because that's shallow. That falls apart over time. When yep. you have good character, people want to be around you. When you have good character and you're honest and dependable, people want to relate to you. People want to do business with you, and people want to be in personal relationships with you. And, and the heart of that, as I explained before, is empathy. Empathic individuals are soulful in their personal and professional lives, and no matter where you drop them in the world, people want to be around them. And I think that's the perfect spot to end today's show. Thank you, Dr. Sierra McCauley, and uh, congratulations on your book, The Soulful Leader. I really enjoyed it, and I recommend it to everyone listening out there. Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, Glad to have you here, and thank you for reaching out um, to be on the show. And just like I say at the beginning of the show, everyone, uh, if you want us to talk about a topic, please feel free, get in touch, send me an email, and we'll get you on the show as well. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.